All right, hi. How are we? Hey, apparently there was a uh, Garth Brooks concert last night with 84,000 people at it. Were some of you at this thing? I missed it. Shucks. That's <laughs> <was> too bad. <laughs> uh, Hey, I'm Ben. I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, glad you're here today. I'm a little sick today. I'm on Sudafed and other drugs that Allie just handed me. Um, so if I go into a coughing fit in the middle of this, just, you know, talk amongst yourselves until I'm done. Um, if stuff starts draining out of my nose, just ignore it. It's just something the body does when it's sick. Um, but I am glad to be here with you. Uh, and like we've been talking about, it's the third week of our very first women's series that we've ever done here at Flatirons. And, and I'm teaching today, and I'm a little nervous, just slightly. Um, I'm mainly nervous just because the last time I checked, I'm not a woman. Um, and I do check routinely. Uh, <laughs> instead, I am a 33-year-old man. I like a good IPA. I love baseball and rock climbing. And I think America's national treasure of cinema is Dumb and Dumber. So I'm just a dude. Um, so yeah, a little bit nervous, but I'm way more excited than I am nervous. And here's why I'm excited. It's because although I cannot speak from personal experience of being a woman, I can definitely share what God has to say about being a woman, and he's got great things to say. Uh, and so that's all I'm going to do today. I'm going to share what God has to say about biblical womanhood, not what Ben has to say, not what Flatirons has to say, just what God has to say, because he says great things. And he says that he created you, women, and that he created you on purpose and for a purpose, and he adores you, and he wants good for your life. And that's just good. So how could I not be excited to share that with you? And so that's all I'm going to do today. Um, Lindsay Heslop, who taught last weekend, and in my opinion, did a fantastic job last weekend. Um, Yes. I love when you clap because it gives me a chance to drink. Um, so Lindsay Heslop, she helped uh, design the outline for this series uh, with a few other women and with, with Jim. And so I knew I was teaching this week, so I you know, asked Lindsay, okay, week three, what's in the outline? Like, what am I supposed to be teaching? Like, what should I go start studying up on? And her answer was Deborah. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with your Bible, but Deborah is found in the book of Judges. It's a great story. You should go read it sometime. But spoiler alert, the story ends with a woman named J.L. who sneaks up on a man who's asleep on the ground. She takes a tent peg and a hammer, and she drills the tent peg through his temple and nails his head to the ground. Just seemed like an intimidating first talk to give to women. <laughs> so cautiously, I asked Lindsay, after checking my surroundings for tent pegs and hammers, I asked, like, can we change week three just maybe just a little bit? Uh, I think I was nervous that if I did something wrong at home with Allie, then I would wake up the next morning permanently attached to my pillow. <laughs> um, I'm kidding, kind of. Uh, I did ask Lindsay if I could change what we were talking about today. Not for that reason. The real reason is because I got excited about something I was studying in the Bible. And uh, it's something that God has to say to women. It's something that I believe has been lost in translation, and I'm, I wanna share it with you today. Uh, to do that, we all have to get on the same page with something real quickly. Uh, so in the Bible, the Bible typically refers to God using terms and metaphors that are masculine in nature, right? That's the typical. So God says he is our father. 
And God says he is our king. He says he's like a shepherd who guards his flock. And then when we refer to God, we're supposed to use masculine pronouns, he, him, his. And then of course, when Jesus came to earth physically thousands of years ago, he was in a man's body. All right, so we're supposed to think of and call God our father and our king. But at the same time, God doesn't have a physical body. All right, so he's not a male in that sense. Jesus himself says this, he says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And this concept is found all throughout the Bible. It's this truth that God is spirit. He's not intrinsically male or female in like the, the natural, physical, anatomical sense. All right, Ben, why are we talking about this? Well, it's because I think it's important to remember because whenever we forget, or maybe we were never even told that God is spirit, when we let go of that truth and slip into believing that God is like a physical, anatomical male, when that gets lost in translation, we wind up with a bad translation. And the bad translation goes like this. God is a man, and therefore, women cannot reflect God as well as men can. And that's not true. Why? Well, because God is spirit. This is why, like we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, this is why God can create both men and women, and they both equally reflect his image and his likeness, because he is spirit. The bad translation says that women cannot reflect God as well as men can, but the truth is that God is spirit. And therefore, God created men and women to reflect him in unique but equally important ways. And that's kind of the foundation that we all have to be on the same page on for the rest of this talk. It's this, women, you were intentionally designed by God in order to reflect parts of his character to the world and the people around you. And you were actually, there's, there's actual specific characteristics and attributes of God that you were uniquely designed to reflect. Not to say that men aren't also supposed to reflect these, it's only to say that you were uniquely created to reflect certain attributes of God. And that's what I wanna zoom in on. I wanna answer a simple question today, which is this. What is one attribute of God that women uniquely reflect? You were designed for it. To answer that, I wanna look at some of the times in the Bible where God uses a feminine metaphor in order to point us toward his true nature. So yes, most of the time it's father and it's king, it's shepherd, it's these masculine images, but not all the time, because God is spirit. And I wanna read through some of these feminine images of God together because as we read these, I think you're gonna see some common themes threading its way through these verses. So I wanna look at some of these. Remember, this is God himself trying to reveal aspects of his nature by using feminine imagery. So he says this, he says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? It was though she may forget, like though, though a broken, sinful human mother might forget, God says, I will not forget you. God is like the ideal mother in the sense that he comforts us and he will not forget us. And when we're in times of need, we can rely on him for that comfort and that compassion. Here's another one. Uh, this is earlier in the Bible. A guy named Moses compares God to a mother eagle. That's pretty cool. And Moses says that God shields us and cares for us and guards us like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. 
It's the image of a mother eagle stirring up the nest, AKA kicking the eaglets out of the nest so that they can learn to fly. And then they hover there so that when they inevitably begin to flutter and fail, mom is there to swoop in and catch them. God says, I'm kind of like that. God guards us and comforts us while also training us and challenging us to better and bigger things. Even Jesus himself uses a feminine image at one point. He's, he's looking at the city of Jerusalem and he's thinking about all the people who live in Jerusalem. He's thinking about how he's about to be murdered by the very people he came to save. And while he's mourning that fact, he says this. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus himself compares himself to a mother hen. Wings spread, offering safety and protection if you'll only accept it. This happens all throughout the Bible, all right? God calls himself a, he's, he says he is like a caring midwife. So the very first person to care and comfort for a helpless newborn, he compares himself to a mother bear who, if robbed of her cubs, will turn and tear open her enemies. That one's dope. <laughs> <laughs> But this happens all through, throughout the Bible, and I could go on and on, but instead I think we already see some themes threading their way through these verses. It's pointing us to the truth that God is our fierce comforter. He guards us, he protects us, and he trains us up. And he does all of this from a strong place of compassion. He's fierce, he is our fierce comforter. Fierce as in do not mess with the people under his care, you'll regret it. And when God wants to drive home the point that he is our fierce comforter, he often uses feminine imagery, which means if we go back to my question, which is this, what is one attribute of God that women were uniquely designed to reflect? Well, according to the Bible, one of those answers can be women were uniquely created to be fierce comforters. This is one of the things you were designed for by God. Quick time out, because I'm sensitive to any of the women in the room who have walked through something like this. I wanna point out that even though God uses the metaphor of a mother in those verses, this is still for all of the women in the room. Right? So God is not saying that you cannot reflect the image of God until you become a mom. He's not saying that. And we have to connect those dots. Right? Same way that we get up in a men's series and we talk about God as our father, God as our king, and we expect men to connect the dots and understand that this truth applies to all men, even if they're not a father or much less a king. And it's the same here. Motherhood is a picture that God is pointing to, but it applies to all women in the room today. God says he is our fierce comforter, and then in order to reflect that attribute of himself, he made women. All women were uniquely created to be fierce comforters. This is one of the things you were made for. Again, men are also supposed to learn to become fierce comforters, but what I'm saying is we are always going to see this best on display in the lives of women. The men in the room are going to have to learn from you. We're gonna have to take our cues from you in this area. Why? Because women were uniquely designed to reflect this part of God's character. You were made for it. It doesn't come from a place of weakness or inferiority. Right? When God describes himself as a fierce comforter, we don't sit there and go, that sounds weak, that sounds inferior. Right? No, it comes from a place of strength. The people in your circles of influence are depending on you for this. It is your strength, not your weakness. And when a fierce comforter is in action, it looks something like this. 
Women were created to guard, train, and comfort the people under their care in the same way that God himself would. That's a heavy responsibility. It means that the people around you should be able to say, I understand what God, I understand what it looks like for God to comfort me, and I understand that because of her. She showed me. She shows me what it's like. Whether that's your kids, your students, husband, boyfriend, coworkers, best friends, family, whoever. You are called to guard, train, and comfort the people under your care in the same way that God himself would. And I'm gonna push into this challenge. All right, so one of the things that we got a lot of emails about from women before the series, I was proud of you for it. You said, lean in like, and push into us and challenge us. We can take it. We can take the truth. We can handle it. All right, so I'm gonna do that. Every bit as much as I would with the men in the men's series, I'm gonna push in to this challenge. So women, if you are not living out of the position of fierce comforter, if you've, I don't know, written that off as not your personality or you thought it was you know, weakness or you've had a long week and so you're tired or you think it's better to just tear people down and power up in order to get ahead, if you are not living out of the position of fierce comforter, you are not operating out of one of the critical aspects of God-designed womanhood. And when you do that, we are the ones who pay for it. Us, your people, we are the ones who walk away wounded. And we already know this to be true. Like, on the one hand of the spectrum, all right, uh, how many of us in this room, men or women, can point a lot of our baggage to the fact that we didn't have that fierce comforter growing up, right? The important women in our life just didn't fit that bill. I got a, a list of internal lessons learned all right, from doing years of middle school and high school ministry here at Flatirons. Some of those lessons are juvenile, you know? It's like don't introduce middle school boys to Axe deodorant and matches at the same time. <laughs> it's like a, it's a good lesson I learned. <laughs> uh, but other lessons I learned are important and they were painfully learned. And one of those lessons is this. When a kid does not have a strong woman as a fierce comforter in his or her life early on, those kids have a lot to bounce back from. I've just seen it. I've done ministry with them. They have uniquely heavy burdens of fear, insecurity, shame, and every time embarrassment because they didn't have a strong place of safety growing up. They didn't have a fierce comforter. Instead, they had a woman who teared them down and embarrassed them. They have a lot to bounce back from. That's one end of the spectrum. What about the other end of the spectrum? How many of us can tie a lot of our baggage to the fact that the important women in our life misunderstood fierce comforter to mean fierce overprotector? Right? We were babied, we were coddled, we were sheltered. Gotta understand that comforter and overprotector are two very different things. When God refers to himself as a mother eagle who kicks eaglets out of the nest to teach them to fly, we don't read overprotector into that verse. Right? So a, a fierce comforter says to the people under her care, she says, you're going to fall when you learn to fly. I am here to ensure that you will not fall to your death. An overprotector just never stirs the nest, never encourages and pushes and challenges and trains her people towards greater, bigger things. As you can see, one of these is based out of weakness. That's the fierce overprotector. And the other is based out of strength, the fierce comforter. 
Women, when you don't get this fierce comforter thing right, when you don't understand that women were created to guard, train, and comfort the people under their care in the same way that God himself would, when you get that wrong, we are the ones who pay for it. Your friends won't trust you behind their backs. Your husbands, your boyfriends will feel like they're partnered with an enemy. Your children will either be deeply wounded or deeply babied, you name it. We are the ones who pay for it. Then on the other hand, though, when you get it right, we are the ones who benefit from it. I'll use my wife, Allie, as an example right now. She's not perfect by any means, but she's a good example of this. So as a mother, for example, uh, she has a unique ability to comfort our kids. So let's say my kids are upset, they're scared in the middle of the night, you know, and Allie is out of the house when I'm trying to get them down. I'm gonna be in their room thousands of times that night, you know, each time as diplomatically and as sweetly as possible telling them like, just shut up and go to bed, (laughs) right? And I'll answer the question thousands of times, but when is mom getting home? When I just wanna see mom, when is mom getting home? Hours later when Allie gets home, she can walk in the room one time and just tell them they're gonna be okay and they're fast asleep, as it should be. She is their fierce comforter. As a friend, Allie's friends would describe her as wise and discerning and kind and caring, open arms, listening ears, a lot of truth, a lot of grace. As it should be, she is their fierce comforter. And then as a wife, and for all of the wives in the room, I hope you understand that you really do have this capability in your husband's life. But as a wife, Allie can spur me to action like no one else I got on this planet. You know, the right word from Allie at the right time can change everything. Uh, in fact, I was writing this talk earlier in the week, and I, if I'm being honest, I was having a terrible week. And I'm writing this talk, and I get a random text from Allie. And she didn't know yet what I was studying or teaching on, so she wasn't like cheating or anything. But she sent me this text, and it just reads this. It says, I just wanna let you know I appreciate you and the fact that you're working so hard. You're a good man and husband and dad, and we're lucky to have you. It's out of the blue. Now, before you think she's just this golden wife, (laughs) she will also send me texts that are like, you're gross and weird, or get the groceries or else, or whatever, right? (laughs) But the point is, when she says stuff like that to me, I really do, I change, I sit up straighter, I feel ready to take on anything, and every husband in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. We'll walk into anything for you. Anything on behalf of our family, any difficulty, any battle, if we just know you got our back, as it should be, Allie is my fierce comforter. Again, she's not perfect. She's just a good picture of the fact that when women get this right, everyone benefits. Women, you benefit because you're operating by the manual. You're operating out of God-designed womanhood. And then we, your people, we benefit because we are being challenged by you towards greater, bigger things. And at the same time, you're flying above us, hovering, ready to swoop in and catch us and reinforce us when we start falling to our deaths. You are our fierce comforters. Women were created to guard, train, and comfort the people under their care in the same way that God himself would. You were made for it. And I think that sounds good. You know, I think most people realize that sounds good. Most of the women in the room are going, I should do that better, or I didn't know that was true, but now I would like to do that. Basically, I think there's very few women in the room who are going, yeah, if I became a fierce comforter, that would just be bad for everyone, right? So it sounds good. But at the same time, it would be unfair of me to not give you a warning. And the warning is that 
stepping into this God-designed role of fierce comforter, it comes with risks, right? In the same way that in a men's series, we get on stage and say, like it or not, you were designed to be the primary responsibility of leadership in your home. That comes with risks, risks which many of us have decided to step into. In the same way, stepping into being a fierce comforter comes with risks. And I think probably the number one biggest risk is that it can be an isolating role to play. It can be lonely. I have this memory stuck in my head. Uh, this happened when I was probably about eight years old, all right? And I still see it clearly. Uh, I'm eight years old, I'm in my house uh, in Texas, and my mom is on the phone, right? One of those cool early 90s landline phones with like the clear casing with colorful wires in it. You can see the inside of the phone. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, she's on the phone with her brother, that's my uncle. Uh, this guy had been essentially for his entire life a heroin addict, uh, in and out of the prison system, homeless. Uh, a few years ago, it caught up with him. He died of a heroin overdose. At the time, though, my mom is, is talking to my uncle on the phone, right? And, and I can still see this, like, so clearly because he's obviously delivering more bad news about his life to his sister, and, and I see it perfectly. It's like the spiral cord of the phone was all twisted and knotted in on itself, so you couldn't really leave the wall very far. So my mom is sitting on this little blue stool right by the wall on the phone with my uncle, and she's just sobbing. And eight-year-old me is just watching her cry from around the corner in the hallway. And dad's not home. He's not there to help, and I don't know what to do. I'm just eight. And so I go back to my room, and I just sit on my bed, and I remember feeling disturbed and feeling unhelpful. And it's not until now, as an adult, that I can kind of articulate why I felt so disturbed and unhelpful, but it's because of this. It's because mom is our fierce comforter. And so when mom needs comforted, who does she have? The sentence in my mind, you know, it wasn't in my mind at eight years old, but basically what I was wondering was this, who comforts the comforter? The risk of stepping into God-designed womanhood and the role of being a fierce comforter, the risk is isolation. I get it. It could be a very lonely role to play. I mean, let's face it. I'm assuming for most of the women in the room, the, the men in your lives, we're all playing catch up when it comes to being your fierce comforter. Like, it's just not in our wiring, typically. It's, at least it's not in mine, you know? Like, for the men in the room, how many of you can relate to this? So whenever Allie is really, really upset, I jump into fix-it mode, right? I wanna become her fierce problem solver, right? So she's upset and she's crying and I start interrupting every single time I haven't learned my lesson and I interrupt and I go, you know, first of all, Allie, you know, stop crying because I don't know what to do when you cry. So knock that off. Uh, <laughs> you can see this goes well for me every time. <laughs> so stop doing that and because, and here's why, because we can fix it. You know, here's what you say to the person that upset you or here's what we're gonna do to fix this problem. It's gonna be all right. And then every single time, somewhere in the middle of all my rambling, she always cuts me off and she says the same phrase. We've all heard it, men. She goes, Ben, I don't need you to fix this problem right now. I just need you to listen. And then <laughs> all the women in the room, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't need you to fix the problem, I need you to listen. And then I spend the next hour, you know, every five minutes I go, yeah, but nope, I'm listening, <laughs> right? 
But it can be isolating. Like all the men in the room have experienced that. Whenever Allie says that to me, when she says, I don't need you to fix the problem, I need you to listen, what she's doing is basically in the moment, she's trying to teach me how to be a comforter in a time when she needs it. Basically, she's going, hey, just for the next little bit, I need you to play the role of fierce comforter for me. I can't do it for myself, just for the evening. It has to be lonely, and it has to be at times an isolating role to play. But that is one of the risks with stepping into this God-designed womanhood. It's who comforts the comforter. And here's the ultimate answer to that question, right? Comes from Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And at one point, he's describing God as our comforter. And he says this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can turn and comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves first have received from God. So who comforts the comforter? Well, you know, help us men We're not doing it to you on purpose. Help us to learn how to comfort you better. Go find other strong women who can be your fierce comforter when your life hits the fan. But ultimately, who is going to comfort the comforter? That would be the God of all compassion and comfort. Ultimately, God comforts the comforter. And one of the things that you as women were designed to do is to receive his comfort so that you can turn and offer that same fierce comfort to whoever's in trouble around you. It's one of the things that God designed you for. And so I wanna end with a challenge for the women in the room. It's this. Are you a fierce comforter to the people under your influence? Do you guard, train, and comfort them like God himself would? Do the people under your influence, would they say, I know how God comforts me because I see it on display in mom, in her, in my friend, in my wife? Are you doing that? If not, are you willing to step into it? Because we need you. God himself stopped at nothing to be our place of safety and our place of comfort right? Nothing, not even the death of his own son. God has been unshakable in his role as fierce comforter to us. Women, have you been unshakable in your role as fierce comforter to the people under your influence? As a mother, have you loved and cared and poured yourself out each and every day, giving everything you have to the little people entrusted to you? And at the same time, like that image of God as an eagle, have you been training them and challenging them and pushing them to greater, bigger things? Have you been their fierce comforter? Because they need you. As wives, have you used your voice to encourage your husband and challenge him? Have you spurred him on towards greater things for the sake of your family? Or have you used your voice to manipulate him or ridicule him or minimize him and tear him down? Don't do that to him. He needs you as his fierce comforter. At work, do you display strength? by guarding, training, and raising up the people you oversee or that oversee you? Or do you display strength by steamrolling people? As a friend, as a neighbor, are you a place of safety and shelter? Or are you the one who's gossiping and tearing people down? Listen, your people need you. And this is one of the things you were designed for. So are you a fierce comforter to the people under your influence? Do you guard, train, and comfort them like God himself would? And if not, would you please consider stepping into that role because we need you? Let's pray together.
God, first of all, I thank you for being our fierce comforter. God, I thank you for putting that on perfect display for us. You have been unshakable in your role as fierce comforter. God, you tell us we can turn to you for safety, we can turn to you for shelter, and at the same time, you won't baby us, you won't coddle us. From a place of strong compassion and strong safety, you will challenge us to better things because you have good in store for us. God, I thank you for being our fierce comforter. God, I pray for the women in the room. I pray for a challenge. God, I pray that you speak to their hearts and illuminate ways in which they have not been good, fierce comforters, illuminate ways in which they've been great, fierce comforters, and then walk with them on this journey of stepping into God-designed womanhood and operating out of the place that you made them for, this fierce comforter role. God, I pray that you ignite that challenge in the hearts of the women in the room. God, I pray for the men in the room that we learn from our women in this way, that we, that we learn from the, the, the women that have influenced us, God, to be better fierce comforters for them. But ultimately, God, I thank you for who you are and for being our fierce comforter. I thank you for that. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's weird, to, it's, weird to, it's weird that I'm clapping, and I recognize that. <laughs> All right, hey, so uh, we're gonna do something a little different now. We're about to take communion and we're about to sing another worship song together, have a family moment. Um, but before that, we're gonna do something that happens pretty rarely here. Uh, occasionally, once in a couple years, we have a family announcement to make to our very large but much-loved Flatirons family. Um, and this is one of those weekends. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do uh, is I'm gonna ask you to wait for a second. We're gonna have communion and then, a, and then a worship song. But for right now, could you please sit tight and uh, listen to this family announcement from our lead pastor, Jim Bergen. Hey, Flatirons. Um, I've shot a lot of videos over the last 13 years here. And I gotta be honest, this one's probably the toughest one. Uh, but I ask... Uh, I asked uh, for an opportunity just to talk to you directly. This is kind of like family business about what God's doing in my life and the life of this, uh, of this church. Um, so uh, the way Jesus set up his church was, it's not a democracy or it's not a dictatorship. Um, uh, he appointed elders as overseers of the church and that's who I'm directly accountable for. And years ago, uh, I entered into an agreement, a uh, biblical agreement with my elders if for them to, to keep an eye on me. And they have been the most encouraging men. Uh, uh, they, have, they have spoken truth into my life. They've given me grace. Uh, they've walked through some really, really tough stuff with me. But one of their roles also is to see uh, maybe my own blind spots uh, uh, where things are going on and I'm not aware of, used because my head's down and I'm just trying to plow ahead. Um, so this past Tuesday, uh, in, in our elders meeting, um, these men who love me, uh, probably as much as my own family loves me, they sat me down and said, hey, Jim, you're really tired. Uh, I think they used the word exhausted, and we want you to take a breath. We want you to take a break. Uh, we want you to take a six-month sabbatical. And uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, it felt more like an intervention than a loving confrontation. And I do what I always do. I wanted to warrior up and go, no. That's for weak people. That's for church leaders that fall apart and screw up their marriages. Um, it's, I'm tired, but I'll be fine. And they was like, uh, no, this, this is right. And so after the initial shock of that, um, I started looking at my life and looking at the last couple of years here at Flatirons and I need a break. Um, 
I've been doing this ministry thing for 35 years now. I think one year I've taken all my vacation. And if you ask my, my family, uh, how was that? They would say he, he was still at Flatirons. He was still writing sermons. He was still programming. He was still checking in on, on what was going on at Flatirons. And I, I love Flatirons uh, with all my heart. And, uh, but it's kind of taken on a role in my life that is reserved for some other people. Um, it's reserved for my relationship with Jesus. It's reserved for my relationship with my family. And then Flatirons is right in there. And uh, almost like an addiction. I think I'm addicted to Flatirons. And it's such a wonderful place. It's changed my life. It's changed so many of our lives. But I've got to get some stuff back into perspective. Um, over the last week uh, since that meeting, I, I got to go down to Mexico City and spend time with one of my best friends and mentors, James Henderson. And he helped me unpack all, all of what's going on. And, you know, a lot of times, and I, I'm sure this applies to all of us, but a lot of times as a man, uh, I think that when I get tired, I should just push harder. And that's what I think I've done. What I wasn't aware of is that I was devastating people. Um, my wife, uh, I was uh, withdrawn from my kids. Um, and I was just running over people here on our staff. We have the, one of the best staffs of any church I've ever even heard about, let alone been a part of. And I was bulldozing them and I was warrioring up and, and I've crushed a lot of people. And uh, what I wanna do, yeah, I, well, let me say this. Over, most churches, when, um, when a pastor gets burnt out or tired or makes some mistakes, um, they just put him out to pastor and, and all of a sudden he's just gone. And, and we, every time we turn on the news, it's like one more pastor fell apart. These men love me so, so much that before there's a moral failure, before there's a financial failure, before there's all this list of things that have taken leaders out, they said, let's get on the front end of that and let's, let's take you out and let you rest um, for six months and, and disconnect from flat irons so that I can come back. Um, and that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend some time, uh, a lot of time alone with Jesus, reconnecting, a lot of time with Robin and my kids. I hope this doesn't hurt your, your feelings. They're more important than you. Um, they're supposed to be, and they haven't been. Um, and I need to get those things worked out. I'm gonna spend some time with some great mentors and teachers and some coaches. Uh, probably get a lot of counseling um, because I'm probably more jacked up than even I won't even admit. Um, here, here's, here's what I want to ask. Um, I, again, I'm not going to be attending Flatirons, and that kind of has me kind of messed up because I don't like to go to church <laughs> or any churches I know of, so I don't know what I'm going to do there. I won't be at Flatirons. Um, but Ben is a really good teacher, and he's growing, and we're going to have some other teachers come in. And you know, I heard Lindsay did a great job, and in a couple weeks, Gretchen is going to do a fantastic job. Um, probably that's... Uh, that's probably one of the most difficult things in all this is, um, well, there's a long list of people I feel like I've let down. Um, I've been looking forward to, I know I've been talking a lot of crap about the women's series and feeling scared. I've been looking forward to this so much uh, to speak to, the, to the, the women of our church about what God has for them uh, and the roles and, and the, the vision that, uh, that this world has taken away from women. And I got to do that first one and I loved it. And uh, 
and I don't get to do the rest of it. And I'm sorry. Um, I'm not running away from you, I promise. If I, if, if, if I could have voted, I would have said, let me finish out this series because this is so important. But I trust these men. And, and ladies, I hope you'll trust me. Uh, and, and you'll lean into this teaching. Um, I don't know how to really wrap this up, except uh, we have a really great staff and we have really great volunteers and that's who this church is, it's not me. Um, and so I, I'm just asking you to really support them. And, and again, I know rumors are gonna take off about what's the real story. This is the real story. I'm tired, it's come out sideways. And before I, I ruin anything, some men in my life that I trust have said, we, you need to take a breath, not an option, it's not optional. It's not someday, it's, it's like started that day. And so I'm officially on sabbatical. You're, I won't be at Flatirons, I won't be on social media. Um, I, I've gotta break that addiction. Um, I, I won't be responding to a lot of correspondence. I, I know you're gonna wanna reach out to me with notes and emails, and you're welcome to do that. If, if I don't respond, it's not because I'm not paying attention or because you're not important. It's just, I, I have to take a breath right now. Um, I just wanna end with this. Um, I'm really sorry. Because um, I've let a lot of people down. Um, my wife's sticking with me and, and this is just tough on her. Um, but I, I haven't been the husband I need to be. I haven't been the dad to Allie and Jordan and their spouses and their kids that I, I wanna be a good pop-pop. And, um, and I, I know some of you listen to this, I have, I have run over you and I've made you feel unimportant and I've made you feel uh, something very different than what God says is true about you. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And so here's my ask for these next six months. If you just pray for me and support me and the staff and, and leaders of this church, um, I, I'll, I'll, I promise I'll do all the work I need to do and I'll come back and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll be the leader that you deserve. I'm not that leader right now. Um, I feel very loved. I feel very well taken care of. Um, but I, I'll, I'll be back. Um, six months from now, uh, when I stand on this stage again, um, a lot of healing is gonna take place, a lot of learning is gonna take place, a lot of listening is gonna take place. I, I love you, I love this church, I love Jesus, I love Robin, I love my kids and my grandkids. Um, I love the stories I get to hear about what God's doing in this place, um, and that's not over. Um, I'm just gonna take a time out so that I can come back and be the leader that you deserve and that God has entrusted to me uh, and, uh, and I know we're gonna do great. Um, the, the best is still to come if we'll slow down and take, pay attention to what God's trying to say to us right now. And that's what I'm gonna try to do. So I will, <laughs> I'll see you in six months. If you run into me in the grocery store, don't act weird, it's just me. Uh, if you run into me at a ball game or at a Rockies game, and I'm available for any of those things, uh, uh, don't, don't act weird, uh, I'm gonna be all right. Um, Rob and I got to learn to fly fish this summer. That's our, our goal, which probably means a lot of trips to the emergency room. But uh, anyway, hey, I, I love you all. I love this church. Uh, and uh, I will see you very soon. Love you. Bye.
Yeah. So hey, Flatirons family, we're gonna do communion here together in a second, uh, but before that, just a couple things that, that I wanna share with you guys. Uh, the first one is, however that lands on you, uh, you know, if that lands on you rough or you're okay or you're not really sure yet, uh, we're here and that's all right. Uh, I want you guys to be able to process this and, and, and think through it. But I want you guys to know this, uh, we're excited for what God's gonna do in the next six months. Uh, we really are, we're hopeful that what he always shows up and does, he's gonna do in this room, in your hearts, in your lives, over and over again, while he's doing it in gyms. And so uh, I, I gotta, I don't know, there's so many things I wanna say, but I'm gonna try to keep this short, but um, I want you guys to know this. Our church, you guys, that's you, uh, is the best church in the world for this very reason, is that Jim can go and work on what he needs to work on, and we don't say see you later and kick him to the curb, right? Because we're a church for lost and broken people, because we are lost and broken people, right? Yeah. yeah. And I know Jim, more than, more than anything, would want me to say this. This church was never built on Jim anyway. For, for six months, we can make that happen. This church is about Jesus and only Jesus. And that is what we're gonna focus on, and that's what we're gonna do. So the question's gonna come up, like what, what can we do for Jim and Robin? What, like what can we be praying for? I had somebody ask me after the last service, uh, especially about Robin. I wanna say this, uh, a couple things. Be praying for their family, for Jim and for Robin, for, for their kids and, and, and the entire family, uh, that God would continue to work in Jim's heart and do the stuff that we know he needs uh, in this season. And I wanna tell you guys this, when you look into the eyes of Jim on that video, it's gonna be on social media this week, you wanna go back and watch it again, I see the eyes of the man that I love and admire and follow. And so I know that Jim, is doing well, and that God's doing a lot of stuff in his heart, so continue to pray that way. Here's a bigger ask, and, and Jim kind of said this, but guys, there's no other story. So I've already seen some stuff online, and people have hit me, hit me up and be like, give me the real scoop. There's not a real scoop. If I had something good, I'd share it right now. Like, I don't have it. I, I do wanna tell you this. I hope uh, with most of you that I have the credibility to say, I wouldn't walk up here and lie to you. There's no story to tell. Jim, Jim just said it all. He's tired, he hasn't been leading from a healthy place and he needs to figure it out. So that's, that's everything there is. So do, do me and this church a favor and please don't, don't buy into any lie that there's another story or help spread anything else. That makes sense? Yeah? Yeah. And so, and also one, one last thing on that, on that front is this. We set up an email address. It's just called rest at flatironschurch.com. And this is if you wanna send Jim a note of encouragement and just say, hey, we're praying for you, we're with you, we love you, we'll see you in six months. Or if you have questions about what in the world is a sabbatical anyway, uh, I thought that was a 70s metal band or anything like that, like, <laughs> feel free to do that. Um, we're glad to answer all those questions and also all those notes will go to Jim. So uh, we're, we're thankful that you guys love Jim the way that you do, cool? All right, hey, uh, I'm gonna transition us here. We're gonna do communion together. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's not as hard of a right turn as, as it might seem. Um, here's the deal with communion, guys. Uh, this, is, this is a symbol that Jesus left us, that unifies us as a body. So the, the Capital C Church, so wherever you are online, in this room, the Capital C Church, people who follow Jesus all around the world uh, regularly observe this. As Jesus' broken body, Jesus has spilt blood for us. And so this morning, in this place that we're in, uh, in this women's series, this, this Lost in Translation, or the, the telephone tag game, Instead of being the kind of people who play that game and talk about what the real story is, we're the kind of people who come in here and say, as the church, the metaphor of the bride of Christ, right? In this series, that's a really good metaphor. So Jesus loves us as the church the same way that I strive to love my wife, which is, I, I'm imperfect at it, but he's perfect at it. And we're told again and again that because of who Jesus is, because of the work he did on the cross and nothing else, 
that his broken body and his spilled blood gives us the chance to be that perfect bride. That, that, that bride that's unblemished, who walks down the aisle unashamedly to her, to her bridegroom. It's a beautiful picture. And this morning as a church, as we're in this season of trying to figure out exactly what we do these next six months, it's gonna be, it's gonna be an adventure and it's gonna be really good. We get to celebrate together that Jesus did everything we ever need in one historical day on the cross when his body was broken for us and his blood spilled. So would you guys do this for me? Would you shut your eyes for a second? And as I want to invite you in, whether you're on the other side of the world or right here in this room, I want to invite you into a moment where Jesus is as close as you, you could ever even start to imagine. He's closer than you could ever dream. He's right here with you in the brokenness and the struggle and the good. He's with every part of your life and he's in every part of your life. And today as, as we take this, this bread and drink this juice that symbolizes what Jesus told his followers, he said, remember me, my broken body and my spilled blood. Remember when you take it together that it unifies you as a church who knows one thing and that's that Jesus is good, Jesus is alive and Jesus paid it all for us and our good and our bad and we both have those moments. Every single day we have both of those things. So I'm about to pray. And as we take this, we're gonna leave here as a church who knows who we are. We're just broken people stumbling towards Jesus trying to figure out how to do this better. So God, I am just so thankful for, for this church in this moment. God, I'm so thankful that we have a, a man like Jim that, that we look up to and follow that could admit when he needs a break. And God, I pray that the work you're doing in his heart, wherever he is today, God, that, that the same work that you're doing in ours, that we're allowing Jesus in close to us, that in all the, the stuff that we fall short in, all the places that we're begging you for a miracle, God, all the places that we're not even really sure what to do or what to think, that his broken body and spilled blood covers every single inch of it, every single moment, past, present, and future, because Jesus Christ is the same today as yesterday as forever. And God, as, as we take this, uh, this, symbolic, uh, this symbolic moment to thank you for Jesus's work, we're reminded again that it's only through him that any good comes. And it's only through him that anything changes. And we're thankful today for Jesus. And I pray in his name, amen.